Welcome back to the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. I'm Pat Stratton and I'm your host. This is part number three of three episodes discussing the Sante Raid with Colonel John Gargas, United States Air Force retired. If you haven't listened to parts number one and two with Colonel Gargas yet, go back and listen to those episodes first to get the full story of the Sante Raid. In 1970, then Major Gargas was a key mission planner and lead navigator for the Sante Raid on November 21st, 1970. In this episode, we discuss the Raiders' deployment to Southeast Asia, the Sante Raid execution, and the Raiders' feelings immediately following the mission. So let's get right back to this. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. This was such a secret mission. You, you had to practice and train for it in the United States. You couldn't do it in Southeast Asia uh, in theater. So I want to understand how can you deploy um, an entire unit like this, Special Forces unit? How do you get them into Southeast Asia undetected? How do you get every? That's just amazing to me. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you did that? Okay. Uh, well... It, yes, it took a lot of planning, uh, careful planning, uh, but it ended up being very routine. Uh, in those days, we had dozens and dozens of aircraft arriving uh, in Vietnam, bringing in troops, bringing in supplies and everything else. So it was nothing unusual uh, for us to come over there. Uh, the biggest, our biggest fear was that uh, we, our absence at uh, Eglin will not be detected and will not signal flag that, oh, these people are already gone. Right. <laughs> so uh, people who stayed, we had some uh, ground people uh, stay behind uh, the army and uh, uh, they operated the same thing, lights, the bar was open at night and everything. So uh, any, any, anybody who was curious enough would see, hey, uh, nothing's happened, like uh, uh, nobody is missing. Now, <clears throat> uh, I, I would like to know how they handled uh, the Air Force uh, kitchen. Because uh, you know you uh, feed uh, 104 people uh, three meals a day, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then they shut and it all, down, and then all of a sudden uh, you're feeding only about 30. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Uh, but, what, so how so did that, you all I don't get over? So did, that up. did I don't you know how they covered that up? Did you fly over? <laughs> to Southeast Asia then for the mission? Did you fly over in your C-130 in the combat yes, talent? Yes, we, we, we took both C-130s with us. Okay. So uh, there, was, there was no problem with us leaving because huh, you, you'd go here and there. And then how and, about the uh, helicopters? How, how did you get the uh, helicopters over? 
helicopters, uh, all we needed was the helicopter crews. We didn't, uh, the only helicopter we brought in with us in a C-141 was one of the Hueys. Just in case. Okay. Just in case things went wrong and we had to revert back uh, to our original training plan. Okay. For that same reason, we ended up uh, keeping 105 indicated airspeed uh, that we trained for because there was always a possibility that we may uh, fall back. Okay. So guess you what used, was guess what was wanna... happened? Guess what was happening at that time? The H3s were being withdrawn from uh, Vietnam. They were being replaced by uh, HH-53s. So we knew that all of the H3s were being uh, uh, forwarded or transferred to Okinawa. Well, uh, guess what happened? Uh, After we arrived in Takli, uh, we found out, uh, not, not, well, that's when we found out, but General Mano found that out uh, about the 6th of uh, uh, November, uh, that there were only two H3s left uh, in Southeast Asia. And those were to be delivered to Okinawa in December. So we said, hey, we want both of those. <laughs> Get a hold so, of them because we needed they leave the country. spare. So, so, it, so it, it, was, it was that course. But in case something fell apart and somebody didn't get to work or somehow uh, those uh, helicopters disappeared from Southeast Asia when we arrived at Takli, we brought in an UA, one UH-1 and uh, uh, boat, uh, boat crews. Uh, there were uh, six people, six Army people from uh, Fort Rutgers, uh, two pilots, an engineer, and crew chief two pilots, engineer, and a crew chief. Yeah, okay. so they all, they all deployed, and uh, they were ready to fly uh, at from Udorn uh, on the night of the mission. And, and where did you bring all, all this equipment then? Where did you, where did you uh, assemble in Southeast oh, Asia for the okay. mission? Okay. Uh, so the... Uh, <laughs> Two combat talons uh, arrived within a couple hours of each other at, at Takli. And, uh, Is that base, in Thailand? In Thailand. Base, guess what? Base was being closed down. <laughs> uh, so here we have an influx of people, not, not only our crew, but we're going to have uh, uh, another group of people uh, uh, people, army people that will be coming later, and uh, we're going to open up dining facilities. So uh, the, the base commander who uh, uh, was uh, in charge of closing down uh, the base uh, was completely confused, uh, but he, he didn't know what the mission was. He didn't know what the heck we were doing. All he knew is that bunch of people were coming to his base to conduct a special mission, and he would never know anything about it, uh, but he had to open up uh, the uh, living facilities uh, for the air crews, and he would have to reopen 
and rehire uh, people to feed us. <laughs> so uh, that 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 was a, a touchy thing. So uh, cover, uh, what was the cover story uh, that was used? And uh, he agreed to it, even though he uh, uh, knew this was false, uh, that uh, all of these people that were coming in, uh, uh, they were uh, all just special people who were uh, observing how uh, military facility is being closed down <laughs> and how it's be- how it's being turned over to th- uh, to th- uh, Thai personnel because that's exactly what was happening at that time. So uh, we were known as uh, uh, observers. That uh, we we would uh, snoop around unobserved. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of disappointed at that. I would think you'd come up with a better cover story than that. <laughs> well, uh, no, but that 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 was uh, no. That surprised me. I I don't know who on our air op staff knew that the base was being closed down. We I didn't know that until uh, we landed. Yeah. and of course uh, the. Uh, uh, the facility that was uh, 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 kind of in in, in mothballs, but uh, uh, that op- opened up overnight, was the uh, CIA facility, CIA compound uh, that was big enough uh, for all of the army troops. Uh, Okay. The, uh, when they came in, I don't know if I have that in my book, but uh, Terry Buckler uh, will write about it, is, uh, hey, th- this is a prison. Uh, uh, this, the, the way the Constantina wire was and wiring, it, it, this facility is designed to keep people in, wow. <laughs> not keep not people out, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, because... Uh, uh, the special operations uh, people, civilians, military, and foreign nationals that uh, were being dropped out who knows where yeah. uh, throughout Southeast Asia, uh, they uh, 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 spent their final uh, days of freedom in a free country uh, in that facility before uh, they went on, on their mission. So uh, that that was not uh, not the unusual portion, uh, except uh, uh, the base command. I'm sure he was surprised by yeah, by I'm the sure. huge number because normally they had only a dozen people or so. Well, let me a- let me ask you about the raid now because we're coming up close to the time we're getting very close to the 50th anniversary of of this raid, which is one of the most. Uh, daring raids, certainly of the Vietnam War, if not of all times. It, it, it's just, it's really neat. So this is a great time for you and I to be talking about this. So uh, November 21st, um, 1970 is when the raid happened. So we're coming up very close to it. And actually you departed uh, in the late night uh, on November the, the 20th. 20th. Um, to, to get started, but you were telling me about this before, in order for your raid to be successful, um, this was a, a multi-service um, special forces operation, and so even the Navy was included in this to create a diversion 
from the opposite direction from where you were. Can you can you talk a little bit about what that Navy diversion was that was created and why was it so important for that to happen for your mission to succeed? Uh, yes, yes, it was extremely important. Uh, <clears throat> it gave us time. The idea for Navy diversion uh, was kind of an add-on, and it was an idea of uh, Larry Ropka. Uh, when they briefed the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, uh, he suggested that it would be a very good idea if uh, we could bring, since this was a Joint Contingency Task Force, and uh, uh, on it we had Army and Air Force people only, that the uh, Navy, Navy's participation would be welcome if they could provide a diversion in the Gulf of Tonkin to keep the North Vietnamese radars focused to the east. Okay. Uh, Admiral Zumwalt was a brand new chief of naval operations, and uh, they didn't know how he would react to it uh, uh, because he, he, he was different. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, his comment was, well, I'm going to leave it to uh, the commander of the task force, 7th uh, task force in the Gulf of Duncan. If they can do something for you without disrupting their wartime uh, thing, it will be okay. And we said, this is exactly what we want. Uh the whole raid is going to be conducted without disrupting the uh, other wartime operation. It's going to be completely separate because it's going to be run by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, so nobody in Vietnam is going to be uh, going to know about uh, uh, mission uh, being planned to rescue prisoners. Okay. okay. So we were with that. We were hoping that the Navy would. Uh, uh, send out few uh, uh, attack aircraft and, of course, a uh, few tankers in uh, uh, monitoring and the e-linked aircraft. So we'd say it, uh, maybe a uh, uh, dozen uh, or 20 aircraft that uh, uh, will, will be launched. So we were assured that something like that uh, would happen. And, yes, further assurances came to us. Uh, when on a, I think it was sixth or eighth of November, uh, when uh, General Manor and Bull Simons visited Admiral Barchar at uh, uh, Yankee Station in the Gulf of Tonkin, and wow, he was delighted. He was beside himself when he found out that we are planning a rescue of uh, POWs from uh, from a prison because Navy had so many pilots. Uh, who were lingering in prisons. So he said, hey, I'm going to create a very credible attack on Haiphong. Uh, but uh, they were told, no, you, you cannot drop any ordnance. Uh, it's purely surgical. So the only thing you can use is flares. Uh, but uh, uh, any of the uh, aircraft, uh, only the aircraft, the uh, your Combat MiG patrol uh, can have uh, live ordnance, you know, to protect themselves against the MiGs and uh, missiles and so on. So, okay, great. So, uh, we were so surprised uh, 
when we found out after the raid, after it was all over, that the Navy launched more ships than the Air Force. They launched 59 aircraft. Wow. Air Force Air Force had 57. Now, even that was a surprise to us at Tockley when we found out that Air Force will have that many because we started out with 13 airplanes uh, training in Florida. Wow, so they really did a good job of creating a big diversion for you. No, but let me tell you a little bit more about it and the timing of it. So uh, what uh, uh, P.D. Hoskins, who was a bar charge uh, planner, he uh, wrote the ops plan uh, with Admiral Boot Hill. No, he, he was the Captain Boot, uh, Captain Hill at that time. Uh, but he was the ops officer uh, on board of uh, USS Oriskany. So they had three uh, waves, three attack waves. Uh, one went north of Hanoi, one went uh, on the uh, islands east of Haiphong, and uh, Third one uh, was a low-level attack uh, that simulated uh, mining uh, Haiphong Harbor. And, of course, uh, they needed a fleet of tankers, uh, and they needed uh, uh, MiG patrol. They needed uh, 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 other uh, protective aircraft. So it all added up uh, to uh, 59 ships. Now, uh, it was great. Uh, we gave them the time uh, when to take off. Now, that's, that's what I worked on. I, I uh, kind of, uh, I guess I was the best recorder of things. Uh, so uh, I had a timetable about who should be where uh, at what time. We couldn't really tell them uh, when to launch uh, because it's uh, simply to launch aircraft uh, from... Uh, uh, the Air Force base uh, than it is from uh, uh, a carrier. You know, uh, you have to join up and all of that. Uh, so uh, all we, we told them at what time we needed to be, uh, uh, have them in the air beginning their attack, yeah. knowing full well that it's going to take them so many minutes to take off and then uh, uh, refuel before uh, joining up for an attack. Well, did the uh, diversion, so, did the Navy diversion start um, to the east of you guys before you yes. took off? Oh, it, yes. Okay. So that started uh, well, before. No, no it, not not before we took off. Not no. be- but before okay. you got to the okay. raid. Yeah, we, 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 uh, no. uh, we, we wanted uh, the diversion uh I, I don't have the exact time uh, in my mind right now, but uh, uh, when we were uh, ready to uh, cross from Laos into North Vietnam, that's when we wanted uh, the Navy to start launching flares. So, of course, they would be up in the air even before that, and uh, at the time they would launch flares, the uh, uh, North Vietnamese would uh, already be painting uh, dozens of yeah. uh, air- aircraft, so they would be focused that way. Uh, but but the key thing was, uh, you know, flare attack started at that time. So they worked out all the rest. So uh, that 
uh, helped us. Uh, the uh, radar at Nasan, which was west of the mountains, uh, uh, east of Dien Bien Phu, did not detect us. And that early warning radar was the key. There was no way, with the way our aircraft formations flew in, uh, uh, there was uh, one formation would had uh, three minutes, another one more than four minutes, uh, that they would be within line of sight of that radar. Okay. So our electronic warfare officers uh, monitored uh, the rotation of the radar uh, can, to can see you tell if it's focusing. And, and put things in perspective for me now. So can you talk about the timetable? What time did you all take off from uh, from the air base or air bases um, okay. in... in, in uh, in Laos, and, and how long did the flight take to get on site to Sante? Okay, okay, all right. Uh, <clears throat> so, at 5.45 in the evening, uh, General Manor departed Takli uh, for his command post at Monkey Mountain, from where he would monitor uh, the operation in, with his staff. Uh, at uh, uh, 15 minutes later, Bull Simons uh, met with us at the theater. That's where he revealed to his troops uh, what the target was, what Barbara was. So day, Barbara of, was day of the raid. Exactly. Holy cow. Exactly. That, that was a few hours. They, uh, after that briefing, uh, they went in there uh, to get camouflaged. Uh, paint your faces, uh, collect all the equipment you're going to have, check it out, and uh, aircraft's going to take you to Udorn, uh, where you will be picked up uh, in vans, you know, without loitering around, uh, picked up from airplane, from a shuttle C-130s that we had, and uh, in a van, take it to your... uh, helicopter and so on so you won't be seen uh at dark so nobody will uh, be aware that something is happening because everything was happening now uh so uh, at at 8 p.m uh the helicopters uh no uh, between eight, eight and nine, uh, we had the helicopters uh, taking off. Uh, at uh, at ten o'clock, we had uh, uh, our uh, Connie C two C one thirties from McClelland Air Force Base that deployed uh, deployed to Korat. These were the uh, uh, radar. Uh, monitoring ships uh, that uh, monitor the area uh, west of Hanoi, and they could vector uh, uh, our MiG interceptors uh, to intercept MiGs if MiG took out in the air. Okay. So these were kind of airborne controllers that uh, would be contacting. Well, they they took off in uh, uh, at. Uh, uh, at at 10 p.m. So 
I have in my book. I have all of that listed, and it's 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 too long. It goes for uh, several pages. Uh, but you know, every everybody's departure was orchestrated. Uh, we had uh, we were planning on uh, uh, just a, a few uh, F fours. Uh, yeah. To keep the MIGs away, we ended up with ten. Gotcha. Why? Well, well let, let me th- ask you the question: a- If it's that many pages, the departure time, I understand they were staggered. Let me ask the question a different way. Then, what time? Because you were one of the critical planners for this mission and the lead navigator for this mission to be successful. What time did you want to arrive? Uh, at Sante okay. and have the first helicopter touchdown. Great. That that does the most critical uh, time. Okay. We knew that the North Vietnamese changed shifts at two o'clock in, in the, the morning. In the morning. Okay. Yes. So uh, we said the uh, we determined that the best time for an attack is right after shift change, uh, when uh, uh, new people uh, are just accustomed to the trying to make themselves comfortable in, in the uh, ones that are finished with the shift uh, are uh, getting ready to go to bed uh, or, yeah. you know, in, are relaxed. So uh, our target time was 2.15, 2.15, uh, not exactly. We got there at 2.18, uh, just before 2.18. Uh, but the key was there that we get there together. Yeah. Uh, that's where I, I was talking about two-minute separation and, and so on. So we, And we worked, we worked back from that time. Uh, and, uh, of course, all of this was... Uh, uh, the times were provided uh, for the, the MiG killers, F-4s, uh, to be overhead. No, no. You see what happened here at the time, at the most critical time when the Navy was active and we were coming from Laos. Uh, we had Air Force tankers or, that were there to refuel F-4s and F-105s. Uh, they were already at high altitudes, so. Uh, this Nassan radar, that early warning radar, said, uh, they already had those uh, ships uh, on radar, and they must have been wondering what the heck is happening because, yes, it was the daytime war, and not something's happening here at night because we have all of these uh, uh, tankers uh, over there, and, and those were normal daytime orbits, uh, track lime in uh, uh, trim, uh, track orange. Uh, so uh, there, there was a big confusion. Uh, can you imagine the uh, North Vietnamese command post here? Uh, they start uh, with the uh, Navy in the east. Uh, Navy is launching something at night, and then they uh, get reports from the west, hey, uh, there are Air Force tankers gathering over Laos. Right. And, and, and then... We had two waves of F-4s, uh, MiG killers, uh, five uh, and five. First five uh, came up. Uh, the uh, 
it was it was their package. This is what they normally use uh, for right. daytime operations. So uh, they'll say, "Well, we'll uh, uh, have two, uh, we have two waves uh, uh, because their time was uh, uh, limited uh, for a half hour operation over." Shantae and they would get replaced. Let me ask you this. I'm really curious uh, to learn a little bit more about the flight in because I know you did a lot of practice and a lot of rehearsal back at Eglin Air Force Base for this. How did the um, refueling of the helicopters go? Uh, Did you have any incidents or did it all go very smoothly? Uh, No, they they had... uh, uh, ran into a cloud bank uh, right after takeoff. That that was the only only thing they say. Oh, uh, okay, uh, very bad start. But uh, uh, formation did not break up, and uh, did, uh, right after crossing uh, Mekong uh, r- River, which is uh, just north of uh, Udorn, uh, the helicopters joined up uh, with uh, a tanker. Uh, C-130 tanker and uh, started uh, refueling. So uh, we uh, planned that operation at Takli. Uh, the uh, uh, refueling tankers that were uh, based at Udorn uh, uh, found out uh, what the mission was about and uh, uh, we briefed them on the, uh, where uh, the refueling should be taken place because right after the uh, refueling uh, our uh, uh, Cherry 1 would be taking over the lead uh, from the helicopters. Okay. So you you had uh, the uh, it it wasn't the helicopter formation uh, uh, during refueling was not the same one that we we had with combat talent. No, I got it. they They had to take it one at one. Well, yeah. they refueled that one wing and on another. They had two drogue sh- drogues uh, that they could uh, refuel two helicopters at a time. But every everything went okay. Went, right? But it was the first nighttime refueling uh, in combat area. That yeah, uh, and that's a, that's that's amazing. So many firsts that you guys achieved yeah. uh, in the planning for this mission, and 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 uh, the actual mission itself. Um, what about radio silence? When okay. did you all begin to practice radio silence on the mission? Did did it was it right from takeoff radio well, yes. silence or when did that occur? Well, uh, we even uh, we were concerned uh, radio silence and radio communication uh, was our concern even in Florida. Because uh, Russians have trawlers in the in the Gulf monitoring uh, radio communications, especially radio communications at Eglin. Yeah. So uh, uh, radio sign. We did not want to uh, reveal what the heck we were doing. If the trawlers uh, got any indication about something going on, it was what our cover story was that we were experimenting. Uh, with uh, nighttime search and recovery operations. That's why 
C-130s and helicopters were flying together. So uh, th that did fit. But uh, uh, we know uh, we couldn't just talk ourselves through when you were in the air in uh, 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 changing formation. It was uh, we just had the uh, key uh, phrases uh, yeah. like break, break, break. What what about uh, the refueling when the helicopters okay. refueled? Did was radio silence already in enforced at that time, and they did that with no radio. Uh, in, initially, uh, that that was no problem. Uh, when they were when they started uh, refueling, uh, the other uh, the C the combat Talon formations were not involved. It was okay. just uh, uh, tankers and helicopters, and and, and hey, uh, that was normal. They're trying something new. So gotcha. Uh, um, so so that we were, but once we were we were together, uh, by nothing. that time it was complete radio science. Okay. Now, uh, red, with exception, uh, in uh, uh, in actual mission, there was uh, two radio intercept uh, breaks. Uh, turning point number four and turning point number seven in, in an initial point. Uh, all was said two minutes ahead. Okay. Or four minutes behind. So whatever it was, it was Cherry One uh, was saying uh, what, uh, at what, uh, whether they're ahead or behind for right. the next turning point. Now, so I, I was the navigator of Cherry 2, and I was the one who had to uh, make sure that we were within two minutes of each other. Gotcha. And so you uh, all so arrived was, together. Uh, yes. So I, I was uh, really navigating for them as, based on their uh, – yeah. because when they said we're ahead or behind, well, I had my dividers, and, and I was pacing their route. In my route, I had both of them. Okay. My right thing. Well, let because me ask you two more, qu two more questions switch. about the flight in. Then uh, I'm really curious about this. So, what about the uh, IFF squat codes? And IFF for yeah. anybody that uh, doesn't have aviation is identification friend or foe, and is uh, a code that goes off. So you're not going to get knocked out of the air by friendly aircraft. Were no. you squawking uh, IFFs? No. And, no, there was no squawk at all. And 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 how about how about uh, lighting on the aircraft? Did because okay. if you're flying in such close formation to one one another, how how can you fly blacked out conditions that close to each other? Okay, uh, <clears throat> the only the lights seen from above uh, were visible. Everything, uh, all the. Uh, uh, lights below the aircraft uh, were taped over, uh, okay. so uh, uh, you could not uh, identify or see the lights from from the ground. Uh, we uh, uh, kept the amber lights in cockpits as low uh, as uh, possible. Of course, you you need lighting. Uh, pilots need need to see the instrument, uh, so uh, we we practice uh, practice that and. Uh, uh, we did have uh, uh, ground observers uh, of, uh, from our, our, our team at uh, uh, different locations uh, 
in Florida and Georgia uh, to see if they knew when we were coming and uh, see if, if they could see any lights or anything like that. So it, everything was uh, worked worked out okay. Okay, and and uh, how about from a navigation perspective? So that was the element you were very focused on navigating, not only for your crew but for the others to ensure everybody got there uh, on schedule to the same place safely and undetected. Did you encounter any significant issues in flight, or did everything go really close to plan for you? Uh, yes, uh, everything went well uh, because uh, they were ahead. The first report we received from Cherry One, they were ahead, and uh, uh, we were a uh, uh, few seconds behind. So we had to, uh, I, I had to cut out one leg. You know, we, we flew dog legs. We were making a uh, 60-degree change of headings, 45-degree change of headings, or, or whatever. So uh, I, I had to cut off uh, across one of the legs uh, to uh, uh, make up time. So that was the only thing, but uh, it, it was handled. It was something that uh, we practiced. It was, uh, it was normal. And... Uh, uh, there was no uh, communicate ra- again uh, radio communications uh, with the A1Es that were following us. Uh, it, it was just when they uh, realized, hey, uh, they're uh, uh, taking a different uh, different route. Uh, there were we were supposed to go to the uh, right, and we went left. Uh, but they accepted that, just, just followed us, and soon they discovered, discovered what it was. Uh, they also heard this thing uh, uh, that uh, uh, four minutes ahead, or wh- whatever it, the thing was. So uh, uh, they knew, knew that uh, uh, there would be uh, breaking radio silence. Okay. And, uh, and it was just, just like that. So, and of course, our... Uh, Electronic warfare officers, uh, they were monitoring uh, all the uh, uh, radar transmissions that they were picking up, uh, that everything was as expected in in, uh, uh, the location where we had the radars. Okay. plotted and all of that so it, it, everything went okay and, so and, and you told me before, so you guys arrived at, at just before two eighteen a m uh, in the morning. And, and when you guys got there, uh, I want to talk about the element that assaulted the Sante prison camp in a minute, but I, I want to talk first just real quickly about the crew that Colonel Bull Simons was in. So in reading your book, it, it seems like, so he landed, uh, at a compound that you all knew was there when you were planning, but you, it, it was very similar to the Sante prison, and you were trying to make sure that it wasn't confused. But the bottom line is that crew did get confused and landed about 400 meters from the target uh, at some kind of middle school. Um, can, you, can you tell me what happened when they landed there? Yes. And who did, who did they find? Who was there? Okay. <clears throat> uh, 
Uh, well, we, we knew that, and uh, Bull Simons was concerned. I, I had quite a discussion with him uh, about it, because geometrically, the uh, uh, two locations uh, were uh, similar. Not only that, the, uh, uh, both of them had canals on the south side. Uh, so th- that uh, could be a confusion there. But uh, uh, helicopter uh, people assured us, oh, gosh, sure, we, we, can, we can look at it. Now, uh, what I was uh, uh, referring to uh, in, in uh, uh, mission planning uh, with uh, infrared, in, infrared uh, showed uh, the blacktop road uh, uh, going by Sante. So actually, it went it went uh, b- between the two two compounds, but it, it had a uh, it could be taken for a river. It did show like a river, the same as a river on uh, our forward-looking infrared. So I happened to mention that uh, to the helicopter pilot, to Warner Britain, who ended up landing in the wrong place. Uh, I, I said, uh, at night, uh, with the blacktop and the dew and so on, with the trees, uh, that road may look like a river. I said, oh, said, no, no problem. Well, uh, <clears throat> what happened was, as we were coming in, the lead ship, the num- number one ship uh, uh, af- after, uh, okay, uh, the uh, Cherry One, uh, broke the formation. Cherry One had to go from uh, uh, low level to 1,500 feet to uh, drop flares over the prison. So after that, uh, uh, all uh, the six helicopters were on their own. Uh, Apple Three helicopters were called Apple. The one okay. that uh, landed inside the compound was a banana. So uh, uh, Apple Three was the gunship. Uh, that was the ship uh, that uh, was going to lead everybody uh, to the compound. Okay. Uh, what happened is uh, that uh, this pilot, he saw that, oh, okay, here it is. He made a slight, made a turn uh, towards the wrong location. And, uh, of course, a mistake was caught, and uh, uh, he, he went where he was supposed to go. Uh, the uh, uh, second ship was Banana, uh, was the one that was to land in the compound. Uh, that one followed, uh, and uh, the uh, 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 Apple One with Bull Simons in 22 uh, did not catch that turn, corrective turn. Uh, Britain f- immediately focused on... Uh, on the uh, uh, power lines uh, that were just uh, south of the compound. So uh, his preoccupation was, okay, here here it is. Uh, the place looked exactly alike. Uh, he was able to identify uh, the guard barracks. That was the same uh, identical construction as the guard barracks at Sante. Wow. And he was supposed to land out on the south side of it. So 
uh, he saw his landing spot. So he was focused on that. He was focused on that. Uh, as he was landing, the flares flares came up. So, uh, well, he, he was a little bit early because this, this was short, but you know, fog of war. But yeah. anyway, uh, he, he landed uh, uh, besides the building that looked exactly like the Sante. Udo Walter ran out uh, with his uh, troops uh, inside the building. They uh, eliminated everybody on the inside. Who, who uh, was there? That, who ended up being in that building? There were soldiers. We don't know who they were. Okay. Okay. So uh, he, came, he came out in the courtyard, and that's when he realized that he was in the wrong place. Uh, uh, Bull Simons realized that they were in the wrong place after he, he got out of the helicopter. Uh, so uh, he uh, 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 called for the helicopter to come back. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the uh, people started uh, f- uh, from the firing. Uh, the, uh, people inside, the soldiers inside with the compound uh, were alerted. They came to the windows and started shooting out. So our, our guys, uh, the machine gunner, Jake Yakovenko, the Ukrainian, uh, he uh, fired several hundred yards, uh, rounds, uh, at, at a two-story building that was right in the middle. So, okay. uh, you know, those uh, people, when they saw a two-story building, they knew, hey, this is wrong. They said, we're not supposed to be here. But somebody was uh, uh, shooting out there, and plus people were uh, r- running out I- in a courtyard. So uh, they had to be eliminated. Well, anyway, the other people, people who were supposed to go uh, down the road to the uh, destroy the bridge and all of that, they realized uh, this is not the place. So they did not go any place. Uh, but uh, we, so how we had, long after they landed did they realize they were at the wrong place that they were about four hundred meters off site? Uh, well, Bull Simons uh, was probably the uh, first one who fully grasped the situation, and that was uh, uh, because we had discussed it with, with him, not just myself, but uh, uh, other planners. Uh, so he knew exactly what the mistake was and uh, what need, needed to be done. Uh, so uh, he asked, uh, that's what be second in command. I mean, he uh, re- really took charge of, of that unit there. And he asked for A1Es that were providing interdiction over Sante. He asked him to take out the footbridge uh, that was... Uh, 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 on a, uh, across the same river, uh, Hong Kong River, okay. that, that, that made a curve. It, but that was a footbridge to the citadel uh, where uh, uh, we knew that there were some soldiers. Okay. Uh, so they, he ordered that to be uh, taken out. And, uh, well, anyway, you wanted to know who... Uh, everything was subdued. The uh, uh, Leroy Carlson uh, fired, lobbed 26 
uh, grenades uh, through the windows of that second story, two story building, through the windows and doors. So uh, very, very soon, uh, nobody would show up in in the window. So we don't know how many people got eliminated uh, by mistake and so on. Uh, But Every, well, every, let, everything was quiet. Heli- helicopter came. Okay. And uh, well, let, let's come back now, to Sante now. Let's talk about. Now, uh, you, you wanted to know who the people were. Well, what I was going to ask you. So I, I've done a lot of reading about the Sante raid. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a topic I'm really interested in. I've read your book. I've read a lot of other articles. And a lot of the room, I've heard a lot of rumors. And I was telling you this before. I, I've heard rumors that there were Russian um, surface-to-air missile advisors there that, um, you know, uh, we engaged in combat with and we had to eliminate. And I read in your book that a lot of the combatants that were coming out of some of these buildings, you said in your book, I think the, the exact quote was, they appeared to be larger than Vietnamese. They appeared to be Caucasian, perhaps. So uh, that kind of spec, I started speculating that that fit in with what I've heard previously, that perhaps they were Russian advisors. Can, can you talk about that at all? Uh, well, <clears throat> I don't have the facts. We don't know who they were. Uh, we only have guesses in the, uh, what I'm about to say is my opinion. I, I don't have the facts. But I also do believe uh, that these were uh, Russian advisors uh, because Russians were uh, advising uh, the Vietnamese and training them in the surface-to-air missiles. There was surface-to-air missiles uh, training site uh, less than three miles away. Uh, so it was a walking distance. Uh, now, Russians and the Vietnamese and everybody uh, we, during that uh, up, up north, uh, they walked. Uh, there were no jeeps, uh, no trucks I ever saw on any of the photographs of the so-called secondary school. And uh, I have seen several photographs of that from different time period because we ourselves questioned why are they calling this a school? They call this a school because it did not have any defenses around it. Uh, Sante had uh, air raid trenches uh, with gun positions. Okay. Uh, this one didn't. So they say, oh, it's not a military. So it's probably a school. So it, 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 it was like that. Okay. So, hey, that would be a good facility to house uh, third country nationals. Yeah. Now. Not just third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh country nationals. My this is this is my conclusion here. <clears throat> that was the only war going on. Uh, Warsaw Pact nations all used the same equipment, same weaponry that was being used in Vietnam. Surely they had observers that would come there periodically. And uh, they would see how everything works and how the battle goes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, it was right there. Uh, the Russians were doing all the training there. So uh, th- that's why I say 
I favor the Russians instead of Chinese. Chinese were advising North Vietnamese uh, in jungle warfare, not necessarily warfare, but in tracking down uh, our uh, special forces aid teams along the Ho Chi Minh Trail in a jungle. So why would the Chinese that are uh, training jungle be uh, in the Sante area? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are, there is no jungle between Sante and the Red River. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, gosh, you, you so, know, think. Okay. Okay, that yeah, that makes sense, and that that really answers my question. I appreciate that. So, I, I really wanted to get back now to the Sante prison, the main element, the main okay. uh, assault force. Can you tell me about the helicopter that uh, you that has the had the code name Banana? I, I think which was the one that was supposed to land in the compound. Yes, and it had a very close fit. First of all. How did that landing go? Did it fit okay, or did it hack the yes. trees down really badly? What happened with that? Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> just before that, the uh, I mentioned Apple III, which was a gunship. Yeah. This one, it, it had just uh, strictly Air Force crew. Uh, that one flew over uh, over the compound from east to from west to east, uh, took down uh, the. Uh, North and South Tower, and then went the guard, across guard towers. You're talking guard about? towers. How yes, did it take yes. it out? Did it take did it take it out with its guns uh, on the on y- the ship? Yes, four four thousand rounds per minute. Gatling guns, uh, the mini Gatling guns. Wow. Yes, but that was and, a sight. and then uh, after cross after crossing the uh, well, see what what happened just before that? There were four flares that popped up. No. Uh, o- overhead, and uh, the gunship flew over it, and after it crossed the compound, then it took out a uh, uh, shot at the guard barracks. Same building that Udo Walter at- attacked at the so-called school, except from the other side. Uh, they uh, took took that down and set it on fire, and then he went to uh, land away. Okay? Following that, very uh, few seconds later, comes banana and lands inside the compound. So by that time, had there been a- any guards uh, in the tower, they would have been uh, destroyed. And by that time, uh, the uh, uh, any guards uh, would have been alerted, and they'd be uh, uh, running to. Well, see what's going on, or maybe uh, uh, pursuing. If they realize it was a rescue attempt, they would try to uh, uh, kill off the prisoners. Right. So, so here comes uh, Banana, and Banana lands. Uh, again, the trees were a lot higher than anticipated, and uh, uh, Banana, uh, as as it was. Uh, chopping the trees, uh, lurched uh, to the right and uh, uh, made a hard landing. Uh, During that time, uh, one individual fell out of the helicopter, but he was, he fell out uh, just before the helicopter uh, touched the ground. And uh, he rolled away and, uh, uh, of course, three leaves and 
branches and lots of debris uh, was falling. So uh, it uh, it took them a little bit longer uh, to uh, uh, than uh, 20 seconds or so on uh, to uh, make sure uh, that there were no movers uh, in there. Uh, what they did discover uh, that uh, uh, th there was uh, at least one North Vietnamese who had the same problem. Uh, uh, he had uh, uh, three uh, limbs falling on top of him. He was uh, kind of clearing himself out when he was uh, taken out. Right. Uh, now, uh, the, uh, there were others who were running, so there were uh, several kills uh, inside of the compound. And uh, the uh, uh, demolition man went to the uh, south uh, uh, corner by the tower, made sure it was clear, and he blew a hole in a wall, hoping uh, this is the hole through which all the prisoners will uh, come in. And, uh, of course, there were no prisoners there. How, how uh, long How long were the raiders on the ground um, fighting with the Vietnamese, eliminating the, the guards that were there at the camp before they got into some of the POW cells and they realized there were no POWs there? How okay. long did that take? Uh, well, it, it just... The, the people on the ground, it, it took only only seconds. The first building they assaulted, first door, I mean, it, it was open. There was nobody there. It was empty. So, hey, something's wrong. Uh, go to, they were systematically went from cell, one cell to another, to another, to another, uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, so uh, they uh, report, reported to uh, uh Dick Meadows, uh, the, in whatever language, the code word for a prisoner was item. Uh, I don't know if they use that uh, code words uh, communicating with Dick Meadows, uh, but Meadows didn't come back until about seven or eight minutes later, uh, said that there are uh, negative items, that there's nobody here, uh, because they, they made a thorough, thorough search of all the buildings uh, before uh, he made the announcement. So uh, that's why it took so long. I mean, they, uh, they knew there was nobody there, but he, he did not make the call until he was fully convinced. And guess what? He makes a call, negative items, and uh, they say, repeat, reconfirm, check again, uh, because everybody was in disbelief. I didn't believe it. Uh, General Manor didn't believe it in the command post. They asked... Uh, 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 repeat, wow. check again. So, uh, that's, uh, so let me ask you because I, so I've told a lot of people that I'm going to be talking to you about this and you're going to be on, on the podcast discussing this. Um, can you give me, and I know you've studied this whole event probably a lot more and a lot more thoroughly than most and, and you lived it. Why do you think there were no POWs there? Do you feel like the Vietnamese got tipped off, or do you think they moved them for another reason? What, what's your take on it? Okay. Well, I believe the uh, North Vietnamese historical records. And uh, <clears throat> this counters uh, 
uh, all kinds of, uh, not speculation, all kinds of opinions and uh, uh, things that have been written out. Uh, if you want full details on that, check my website. Uh, I have stories. Uh, and I'm going to, by the way, I, Vietnamese research. I, I'm okay, going to put a copy you. of your website in okay. the details section yes. of the podcast. So if anybody wants to okay. learn more, they can go to your website in that, okay. in that link. But, but this is it. Uh, the uh, second in command to General Jap, who was the uh, uh, leader, uh, military leader of uh, Vietnam War, uh, uh, Te Tai, uh, I believe is his name. Uh, he was a, a lieutenant general. And uh, in his memoirs, he died at the age of 94 about three years ago. In his memoirs, he describes uh, the reason why the prisoners were moved. First, uh, Back in uh, January of uh, 1970, uh, the security uh, element of the military uh, made a study, security study, of all of the prisoners, prisons. And they came to the same conclusion uh, that we did, that out of all the prisoners where they had Americans, Sante was the least defensible. So that waved the flag. Uh, this uh, general in his memoir says that uh, he, he became suspicious because uh, in December, the, uh, before that, in Christmas, Christmas time, uh, there was a delegation that visited and he falsely claims Sante that uh, it was on another prison because nobody at Sante remembers that event. He said there uh, was a delegation that had one Roman Catholic priest and that this Roman Catholic priest, of course, uh, they, they were monitoring everybody, uh, all the reporters and so on. They were closely watched. He said that this individual was uh, very curious about windows and doors, like he was counting the number of windows and uh, doors in facilities. But when they were being showing this or that, his eyes wandered. So uh, he was convinced that he was a spy, uh, that he was there to investigate uh, the layout. So uh, he said that that was uh, another warning that he had. And uh, that plus the study that was he said he himself directed evacuation and he supervised it. He said it took three days to evacuate. Well, uh, POWs will say, no, it didn't take us three days. No, but what he's talking about, it took them three days to clear that facility because they had to move not only the uh, prisoners of war, but all of the uh, equipment uh, cleared the kitchen and uh, everything was emptied. So uh, when that facility was emptied, according to him, it, it was not going to be used anymore uh, to house Americans. Uh, they were gone for good. And uh, for he uh, 
so shows correctly uh, where they moved them, because he said I was there. He was he spent three days uh, uh, making sure that the POWs were relocated, not only POWs but all of the guards in the turnkeys and so on that they had. Yeah. Uh, so I believe that. Uh, I, I believe uh, his memoirs. It's uh, very revealing. He talks about lots of other things. That's what I mentioned. That it is a story on my website. That so you, it in so people, detail. people can go to your website then, and they can and uh, click on that link and go find the story, find that memoir. Uh, yes, of that. yes, and it's 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 documented. It's, uh, I, I document the study that they had. It document the. Uh, uh, this uh, general's uh, memoirs, and uh, okay. he said he follows that up. That uh, uh, the morning of, of the raid, uh, he received a telephone call from Jap, his boss. He says, "Come home." Uh, he was down in the southern portion, North Vietnam. Uh, he took a few days off. Yeah, and uh, when he found out about that, he said he couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Uh, that, I mean, that's just amazing that this is, it's the first time I've heard of this. So that uh, as much as I've read about it, it just shows there's so much more out there that uh, I could read to learn more. Um, the, the prevailing, uh, theory I had always heard and what is that the river that was close there to the camp, uh, had been flooding, and um, so it was just basically a coincidence that they moved all the prisoners out about yes. three months before the raid yes. because they were afraid the camp was going to flood because of what yeah. was going on. Yeah, I, I, I saw the river on, the, on my radar. <laughs> the whole area uh, west of there was, was flooded. So the people who were on, on the ground, uh, the, the uh, guy who blew the hole through the wall, uh, looked out through the hole, and there is a river. Yeah, uh, you know it. It, it was uh, high, so that would have been very logical conclusion for them to say that. Uh, uh, yes, uh, it, it was the r- river that uh, it threatened the wall, and wall would collapse. Now yeah. you you have the people who were inside the the prison. I just talked to the uh, uh, prisoner uh, in Arizona. A former prisoner, and uh, uh, he thinks that they definitely moved uh, because the well inside of the uh, prison compound went dry, that they didn't have water. Well, uh, yes, I believe that, but uh, I'm a little bit uh, confused here because here uh, you have the the well. Uh, the distance from the well uh, to the river, it, uh, it it would be a basketball three-pointer. Yeah. That so kind why, of distance. So why would it go dry, basically? So why would it go dry? Yeah. I mean, what kind of weird water table is? But yeah. I, I don't doubt it. They said the, the uh, POWs, they needed water, and they could not get water out of the well. So, yeah. uh, But uh, they said, well, that's why they, they had to move us in. We, uh, we, we didn't have water. So he said the, the people outside uh, uh, must not have had water. Who knows where they got their water from? Because there was a, a water well uh, just outside of the wall. 
Gotcha. So it, it's, you know, it's just like uh, blind men examining an elephant. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's where you are. Well, let me let me ask you a couple of other questions, because I, I really want to get as much clarity as I can here. So now on this raid, so they they identified there there were no POWs. Uh, they were engaged in firefights with uh, North Vietnamese enemy soldiers. Uh, they eliminated quite a few. Um, how many raider casualties did did you all lose anybody? Did any of our no. guys get shot and 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 uh, injured significantly? There? No, we we had no losses. Uh, one Green Beret, Joe Murray, uh, received uh, a bullet damage in his uh, uh, right thigh. It uh, might have been a ricochet. It wasn't a direct shot. It was a flesh wound. Uh, he felt the sting uh, and a little bit of heat, but uh, was not aware about uh, bleeding until uh, he boarded the helicopter on the way home. And uh, that's when he realized that uh, uh, he's uh, from the belt, uh, hip belt, all the way to the knee, uh, his uh, pant leg was soaked with blood. Yeah. But he, he said, Hey, he said, I'm like, I'm, I'm really, really hurt more than I, I thought I was. And the second one that was injured uh, was uh, uh, Air Force Technical Sergeant uh, on uh, Banana. Uh, he uh, crushed his ankle uh, when a fire bottle uh, dislodged from uh, the wall of the Banana uh, when it uh, crashed on the ground. Uh, he... Uh, he felt he felt pain, but uh, he didn't uh, realize the amount of his damage until he was on a on a helicopter. And of course, Doctor Cataldo was there to help. So that's when yeah. he was uh, diagnosed. So those were the, those were the only two, only only two. Okay. So we were very fortunate. And, and so, how long? And I know you you were monitoring this entire operation, so you you're going to know probably down to the minute how once Banana touched down, and they got engaged in firefights, and they were clearing the camp, and they identified that there were no POWs there, and and they they checked it very thoroughly. How long were the raiders on the ground physically? before they started loading up in the helicopters yeah. for the departure? Uh, well, uh, some some claim 25 minutes, some 27 minutes. Well, I, I believe that because not everybody landed at the same time. Right. So, okay. uh, But it was, uh, we, the whole operation was based on uh, believing that we would land there in the, uh, be departing with the prisoners within 30 minutes. Okay. And, and, um, so can you tell me about the exit strategy now when, when everybody's running back to the helicopters and the helicopters are departing, did you all fly the same kind of formation out? Did the helicopter draft off of the C-130 again coming out or was it different, uh, departure? No. No, uh, the departure was, uh, uh, <clears throat> well, we, we had air cover. 
we had air air cover, and departure was going to be uh, at a low level in in the helicopters uh, until uh, after they crossed the Red River in the west, and, and then uh, in, in the mountains and uh, uh, at higher altitudes. The moon elevation at that time uh, was high uh, high enough so they could see the ridge lines and they could fly uh, westward uh, to uh, Laos. Uh, we had uh, the uh, Cherry 2 that uh, dropped off helicopters, uh, flew to Laos, and uh, La- uh, they provided a homing uh, beacon for uh, helicopters to follow out. So uh, as soon as they climbed out, out of the Red River Valley, uh, they had a, a navigational uh, direction in which way to head, and uh, very very few follow that. <laughs> and this is interesting. Why? <laughs> uh, as in the meantime, well, uh, we did not really. Uh, my uh, fellow navigator did not detect any fog uh, on the way in, but on the way out the valley started filling up with fog. So as the helicopters uh, uh, flew outside, uh, some saw their uh, shadows <laughs> in the clouds really? uh, on a fog. So whew, uh, we don't want to do that. Uh, they would fly and hug the ridge lines. So they were more concerned about not... Uh, making shadows on the fog uh, than anything else. And, of course, they had a beacon to follow. So uh, they uh, got out of, uh, got out okay. Now, the problem was uh, that uh, uh, one of the helicopter uh, crews uh, called MiGs, called MiGs in the air, which was a false alarm. But once that call was made, uh, uh, nobody believed it because immediately after that call, uh, the Combat Apple, that's uh, uh, electronic uh, monitoring aircraft uh, flying C-130, C-135 uh, from Okinawa, flying over Gulf of Tonkin, uh, called immediately negative uh, bandits. There's no MiGs, no MiGs. Uh, well, uh, everybody panicked. Everybody how, how many believed MiGs that did the North MiGs. Vietnamese have that were nighttime capable? Do you, do you know? Okay. Okay. Uh, we didn't find this out. That's something I wanted to know right when we started planning the mission. And uh, I didn't find out. We did not find out about it until uh, we were already at Tak Lee. That's when we found out that North Vietnam had only six nighttime qualified pilots and uh, that they uh, their nighttime alert consisted of two MiGs at Fukien. Two MiGs were at Fukien at the end of the runway uh, with their uh, radars on, uh, ready to fly out. They never received permission to take off. Now, one thing that we learned uh, in their uh, typical Soviet operation, everything is done uh, with positive ground controller. Uh, 
they can't take off and do much of uh, much much of anything in the air uh, without getting directions from the ground. So the MiGs never took off. Uh, that that was confirmed. Uh, our electronic warfare officer also confirmed that that the MiGs never took off because my ship, uh, at, uh, the Cherry Two, flew. Uh, spend all the time within sight of Sante, uh, west of uh, Red River. And uh, every time uh, we made the turn to the west, uh, electronic warfare officer picked up uh, uh, radar signals from MiGs on the ground at Fukien. Wow. Um, when you, so tell me about this then. The, I mean, what, are, what an incredible mission and... Um, I really want to know, because we've talked before about the incredible uh, positive impact this mission had on the POWs, and I want to talk about that again in a minute, but you didn't know that at this time. So you all fly back and and land in Thailand again, and your mission's over, and you're all sitting around at the airfield now. Tell me a little bit about the mood. What 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 are the Raiders talking about? What are you guys thinking? H- how did you all feel after that mission? Oh, it, it was devastating. I, I have never felt uh, felt that way. I uh, oh gosh, I mean, I felt like crying, but I was too angry uh, to cry. There were some people who cried. And I I did not see anybody cry. Uh, but uh, I hear uh, others say that, yeah, uh, tears were shed. We were, it, it, it was like a, uh, like a basketball, football team that loses a very, very close game or a very important uh, championship without find, uh, fault of anyone. You, you do everything right, yeah. which we, we all believed at that time coming back home. Hey, we did everything right. Yeah. I mean, everything right. We had everything planned for all, all contingencies, even though uh, uh, two uh, 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 pilot and a navigator who uh, had to bail out because they, their F-105 was damaged by a missile, uh, even they were uh, rescued. He said, but why, you know, why, why? Uh, all, all this effort, so much waste. So... It, it 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 was a weird scene. We were sitting on a curb outside of, of the uh, building where we were supposed to uh, do our debriefing. Nobody really was interested in debriefing. Uh, and uh, people, it was in, in the morning. The uh, soldiers were uh, on, the, on the way to work because you know, they were coming over there and they were looking at us. We, our Officers and airmen mixed up, uh, sleeves rolled up, and, uh, you know, everybody, we didn't look like a, a, a military officers at all. Some would salute, nobody, nobody cared. So it, they would walk by and turn back, like, what's going on? And at the same time, guess what was happening? Well, uh, when we were taxiing out after landing, we were taxiing out. Uh, we saw rows and rows of uh, F-4s and 105s uh, that were taking off uh, on a mission. We felt, gosh, do we stir up a hornet's nest? Is this the reason? Is this the uh, 
response uh, to North Vietnamese. Well, uh, that was a completely separate mission. See, we were not supposed to interfere with anything uh, that uh, they had in their war plans. Right. We were so we were so isolated, and and they didn't even know about about our raid. But uh, this was a retaliation called uh, uh, freedom bait. Uh, they shot down one of our rec- reconnaissance aircraft in uh, southern North Vietnam, and this was a retaliatory strike. Gotcha. Uh, but we felt like, gosh, we what did we do? There is a real war going on, and we, it was still going on. We see uh, hear all these jets taking off while we're sitting there, and then uh, uh, we were called inside. Well, not everybody did fit in 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 a building, uh, but we were crowded in a hallway, and uh, General Manor and Bull Simons. Uh, came out, tried to consult console us. Uh, first told us that the two pilots that uh, uh, bailed out over Laos uh, were okay, that we had only, only two injuries, and uh, that we did a fabulous job uh, executing uh, uh, our mission perfectly, just like we trained, and uh, that... Uh, well, you guys didn't you know, know this. You, you didn't know it then, uh, honestly, but uh, I know that. But my dad's told me this story many times, and many other POWs have told me the story as well, including Paul Galanti. Paul Galanti was one of those POWs in the Sante prison just a couple, two, three months before you guys arrived. He was moved out. I've talked to I, him about it recently. Um, listen to that by podcast. I you, heard it. Uh, Excellent guy. I, I love Paul Galanti. But, but, but anyway, because of your raid, within days, within a day or two, they moved all the POWs into the Wallow prison camp, into what came to be known as Camp Unity. And my dad had been living either alone for many, many years in isolation or with one other POW— very bad conditions, all of a sudden, two days after your raid, he's in a big, um, big area with 45 or 50 POWs. What a boost to the morale to be around all these other Americans. So there's no question in, uh, in so many people's minds that you saved so many people's lives. Yeah. Because yeah. you gave them such a morale boost, yeah. and um, you changed the course of the war um, with with that raid, um, and and so by the way, um, my dad passes on his best to you. He told me to say hello to you and pass okay. his best regards. Um, I know you guys. Um, this is a special time. Uh, you guys are coming up to the 50th anniversary of the Sante raid in November. Um, the, this whole pandemic we're going through now is really throwing a cog in the wrench of having you guys get together for a big 50th reunion. And I'm sorry about that. I hope you guys are able to get that rescheduled and get and so that you can all get together soon. Uh, so you can all, uh, be together 
to celebrate that special time together? Are, are you thinking you're going to be able to get it rescheduled maybe next year? Uh, yes, uh, I think uh, something's happening right now while we speak. Uh, this week or next week with the Air Commando Association. The Air Commando Association uh, of uh, Fort Walton Beach uh, was going to uh, uh, honor the Sante Raiders on their 50th anniversary, and uh, that uh, reunion was canceled. Uh, you know, it just so happens that uh, we, not we, the, the Army uh, trained at Duke Field, uh, that's where dual leaders raiders were training yeah. uh, during the Second World War. And the Air Commando Association uh, held a reunion just for them. Uh, there were only uh, three uh, members alive. And now uh, there aren't, uh, we're a dwindling number, so they were trying to do something like that. So I, I hope uh, that they reschedule it next year. But uh, uh 20th, 21st uh, of November, that, that's our anniversary, and we'll each celebrate it our, in our own way. Uh, we have done it uh, uh, since uh, day one, but to continue on that, you know, as we were uh, going home, uh, because the good thing uh, General Manuel said, well, we'll be home for Thanksgiving. Well, we were home for Thanksgiving, but on the way home, uh, we were prepared to even deny uh, that uh, we participated in a raid. Really? Uh, we couldn't, after we came home, well, it was acknowledged we were decorated, uh, but we could not talk about the uh, raid. Some of these tactics or the equipment we, uh, we right. used and uh, uh, so on, uh, that uh, could not be talked about uh, when uh, uh Ben Shimmer wrote his book. Uh, a lot of the things uh, uh, could not be uh, be told, but now now, now we can. So uh, we did. Unfortunately, you know, uh, it, it happens in the military. You go to a new assignment. You were we were dispersed. Yeah. So uh, we did not form our association until 1990. So we were not in contact with each other. And we were not talking to reporters or anything like that. We didn't find out uh, how much good we did with the raid until uh, San Francisco reunion uh, that Ross Perot gave. The POW uh, reunion? Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's when Sante Raiders met a lot of uh, uh, the POWs. I, I couldn't make it. I was in uh, flying in Greece at that time. Uh, but... Uh, uh, that's when we learned uh, what the benefits were. Huge, and uh, huge I, I, under, I understand why uh, uh, this was not publicized uh, uh, in, our, in our media, uh, that uh, uh, POWs, uh, their uh, lot has improved a great deal because of the raid. Uh, a lot of people, uh, even in the press, was that, oh, boy, our POWs are being punished now uh, because of that idiotic uh, raid that was pulled. You know, there was a lot of negative press. A lot of it yeah. uh, was in, uh, I'm sure your dad's aware of that. Uh, it was in, in Congress. So, you know, that, that's what we were, we were getting. And uh, uh, yes, our, our intelligence uh, knew better 
but uh, they never told it, it, you, it, it, though, it, huh? That's that's right, and uh, we had no need to know really, uh, because it was advantageous for our negotiators in the Paris peace talk yeah. to press the POW issue. That was a big trump card. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, they they kept the pressure on the North Vietnamese. Uh, un until uh, agreement when the, they came home. So I, I, I understand the logic why we were kept in the dark, yeah. uh, why we were not being patted on our backs for, hey, you did the great thing, you did the great thing. Uh, a lot of us feel, felt downright guilty o o over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so, let me ask you, so in getting ready to do this podcast with you, one of the things I did is I got a hold of your book, and I read your book. So can tell me a little bit about that. When did you come up with the idea that you wanted to write a book on this? Well, uh, the urging for this book came from Benjamin Schemmer. Ben Schemmer is the guy who in 1976 uh, wrote a book, uh, The Raid. And uh, he... Uh, published several uh, editions after that. Uh, well, uh, after uh, we uh, organized Sante Radio Association, we started having a reunion. Ben Schimmer came to one of our reunion and uh, he heard me and Larry Ropka speak about the raid. Well, uh, he did not make person-to-person -person contact with me at that time. Uh, he, he got ill and he had to leave the reunion early, but he established contact with me uh, by email. And I helped him uh, with uh, uh, revisions or new editions of his book because by that time we were able to talk about it. So uh, he said, John, you need to write your own book. Yeah. Uh, you have such great detail in there. You have so much information. You have recordings. Well, uh, what, what you see uh, in the book. So he urged me to uh, do that. And uh, he also uh, suggested to me that uh, use some of the North Vietnamese inputs uh, because he was approached by the same individual that I ended up dealing with uh, not long ago uh, that uh, uh, wrote a, uh, his version of the Sante raid. And uh, it's a bunch of propaganda, and Ben Schirmer did not want to co collaborate with him. Uh, but uh, Ben Schirmer suggested that maybe if, if I uh, get the guy's story, uh, that it... Uh, could be a good addition to my book. Yeah. So that's how it come, came out. Now, uh, when was it? Uh, that was uh, in year 2000. So uh, I, I started uh, working on that, and my biggest obstacle was <clears throat> that people didn't trust me. Uh, they... Uh, said, hey, it's, you sure we can be talking about that? You know, Ben Schimmer talked about things that you didn't. And uh, he said, yeah, you, you told Ben Schimmer certain things that we thought were still classified. I said, no, it's, uh, 
it's it's everybody's writing about it. There yeah. uh, were uh, articles uh, written by uh, General Manor and all of that. He said it's uh, it, it's okay to talk about it. Well, anyway, uh, it, it it was like uh, pulling teeth, and uh, I guaranteed that I would not use their story, uh, and I got many stories uh, until. I, I got them on email or in writing, yeah. and that if if they were if I could verify them with some other source. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a favor. So I know your 50 year anniversary uh, of the raid is coming up in November. Uh, the 50 year anniversary of the POWs coming back is in 2023, coming 23. up. So hopefully. Um, that group will all be getting together. I hope you come to that. And if you come to that reunion, um, I would love it if you would bring that American flag that you wore around your, you had, you brought on the mission with you and that you Mm -hmm. had all the POWs and the Sante Raiders sign it. I would love to see that flag if you can bring that with you. Okay, I I can show it to you now. I'd love to see it. No, I see the flag right there. That's Oh, okay. That there that's a piece of history right there. Flew on yeah. the Sante raid with you, signed by yes. most of the raiders, signed by the POWs. Yes. Um that that's fantastic. Colonel Gargas, thank you very much for doing this with me today. I really appreciate it okay. and uh, God bless you, sir. Okay. And uh, congratulations to you. I, I love what you're doing because oh, well, the story you. needs to be told. Yeah, well, thank you. Okay. I love that. And uh, reg- regards to your dad. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. A big shout out and thank you to Colonel Gargas for joining us to do this podcast series. We've got more great tales of Southeast Asia coming out soon. Be sure to check out the details section of this podcast episode where you can find the Amazon link to the Sante Raid book written by Colonel Gargas. You'll learn great detail about this historic mission by reading this outstanding book. You can also find his website there, which includes articles, pictures, and video, which will give you a better understanding of this mission. If you enjoy the Yankee Air Pirate podcast series, please recommend it to a friend and share the link to the podcast on your social media pages. It's an easy and free way to help us spread these historic stories. You can contact us with questions or feedback by emailing us at theyankeeairpirate at gmail.com. That's theyankeeairpirate, all one word, at gmail.com. We appreciate all our listeners. Semper Fi.